right. Well, we are in the midst of a short sermon series answering this question, what is the church? What is the church? And thus far, we've answered the question with two statements. The first being that the church is the identity of Christ, and the second statement being it's the light of the world as Jesus is. So if you have missed those sermons, if you're part of Center Church and you've missed those sermons, I want to strongly encourage you to go back and to listen to them. And I don't say that for my own ego. I'm saying that for alignment um, as a church. We've talked about how one of the reasons we're doing this series is because we want to fight individualism. We want to fight self-sufficiency. And church is not about doing what you prefer. We're up front about this. We're very clear. Church is not about doing what you prefer. In fact, if that's what we view church to be, it would point to a fragmented experience of Jesus' sacrificial love. If he has given himself to us and for us, the only natural response then, if this is what we're believing and this is good news, is that we then would also give of ourselves for those around us. So we need to hear clearly how the Bible talks about Jesus' church, why it exists, what its functions are. And so we've constructed this series in such a way to answer the question, what is the church? And we're answering that question with four statements about Jesus. So part of the thinking with this is the Bible talks of Jesus being the cornerstone. Okay, so in Ephesians chapter 2, we read this. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of his church in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. In him, you also are being built together. So the cornerstone is the part of the foundation that holds everything together. It is of primary importance. And that describes Jesus in his church. Jesus is of primary importance. He holds it together. And notice how it speaks about the church being built here in Ephesians 2. It says it is in him. The church is built in him. So this is how we grow and we function and accomplish his design by being in Jesus. So Jesus is crucial. He's vital. And this is why we are answering the question, what is the church, with statements about Jesus. And today we are answering our question with this statement. The church is the body of Christ. Now, if, if you grew up in church, that might be like a churchy statement that you've heard a lot. Hopefully we can unpack this a little bit. Um, whether we have been in church or we haven't been in church much in our life. The intent is we can try and unpack this, at least at a very high level, the church being the body of Christ. So with this statement, what exactly are we talking about when we make a statement like this? I want to begin by going to the New Testament and talking about anatomy. Okay? That's what I want to talk about. So first Colossians, or Colossians 1.18 says this. He, being Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Okay, so here we're reading in the Bible that the church is being described in anatomical terms. It is a body 
importantly, and maybe more importantly, Jesus is the head of that body. So Jesus is primary. As the head, he possesses the role similar to maybe the brain, in which he's telling the rest of the body what to do. He is providing guidance and direction to the whole body. So the church, then, is a body with Jesus as its head. He is the king, but the Bible talks further about this imagery. So I want to go to another New Testament book, 1 Corinthians. I want to read a number of verses here. So 1 Corinthians 12. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Okay, so what's really clear here is there is one body, right? But there are many parts to that body. Different parts then illustrate that people have different functions to make the body work correctly. The people who make up that body have different functions that allow it to work in the way God designed. So each part of the body has a vital role to play in its proper functions. And then when roles are not filled or functions aren't carried out, the body will act hurt in a sense. Other parts of the body have to compensate for the injured, for the lacking part of the body. And this picture depicts how Jesus' church is intended to work together. Now, if you have ever had a significant injury or a malady or if you've been paralyzed— you can probably feel keenly what is being talked about in these verses. What happens on a Sunday morning or in a community group here at Center Church or any other time when we are functioning as the church is a complementary activity. It's never just a bunch of individuals doing their thing. We as a church are engaged in an activity that is dependent on all parts utilizing the gifts that God has given to each of us. Okay, let's read on here in 1 Corinthians 12. So the, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving, it, giving great, greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Okay, so one thing we see here is in a church, there is an expectation of hurt, of suffering. That's going to happen within a church. Another thing being addressed in these verses is the division caused when we covet someone else's function. If we try to function a way that God hasn't designed for us, we want what someone else has. We are not grateful for the gifts or the functions God has given to us, and we look at someone else and we want more, something that maybe we consider better. But all of this creates division. So if we would go back to our first week when we're talking about that the church is the identity of Christ, this is what happens when we find our identity in maybe our function or our role instead of Jesus. I was even talking about this with someone this morning, that there is this reality when we find our identity in something else, doing something, being something, this will ultimately cause us to hurt Someone else, ourselves, the church at large. And it says here that God composed his church in such a way that there would be no division in it. Now what oftentimes happens when humans get close to one another is we begin to want what others have, what I've just referenced. So I remember a number of years ago, I had some fluky events in my life, and I ended up eating at Chipotle, four out of five meals. Now, I love Chipotle. Today, I love it. I loved it back then. But I ate at Chipotle, Chipotle, four out of five meals. And by the last meal, I remember thinking, the last thing I want to eat is Chipotle. I was done with it. I was tired of it. We see this example in the Bible as well. Israel, they were enslaved in the nation of Egypt. Right? And they call out to God, come and rescue us. So God comes, he rescues them, leads them out of Egypt. And they start complaining about the food that they, or that they don't have food or the fact that they don't have the food that they did have when they were in slavery. And then God gives them food. And what do they do? They begin to complain about the food that God gave to them. This illustrates the fact we want what we don't have. We want what we don't have. But God's design is that in a church, people have different functions. That we can look at other people, we can celebrate that they have something different than us. So some are going to be a hand. Some are going to be a foot. Some are going to be an ear. Some are going to be an eye. And the list goes on and on. Now at some point, we might really like fulfilling the role that God's given to us. But our natural tendency, because we still have this sinful flesh, is to become bored with that. And after we've done that for a while, we begin to think, I want to climb the ladder. I want to move on to the next thing. I want to do what that person is doing. But the church isn't about us. It's not about us. And Jesus himself displayed this. To follow Jesus means we take on his perspective And this is the man that we read about in Philippians 2. It says that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Another translation would would say, would read this by saying, he made himself nothing. It's what Jesus does. 
for us. He makes himself nothing. So in the context of a community or a church community, we will be called to make ourselves nothing. If we don't regularly feel beckoned into hard, uncomfortable things, or what we call here at Center Church, feeling that reality of getting over yourself, if you don't regularly feel that, Within the context of our church, we're likely not engaged with our church in a way that Jesus intended for us. If we engage in ways that are easy for us, or that are convenient for us, well, that's going to be felt by others, for sure. This is why a large church is oftentimes attractive to people. And there may be seasons for for this. I'm, I'm not just trying to diss large churches. This is just a statement of fact why a lot of people do go to large churches, because you can come and go as you like. You won't be missed when you're not there. But the reality is, this is only great for so long, because all of us, in our deepest parts of us, we want to be known. We all have this desire to have other people know us and care about us. Now, people in a church context can oftentimes look at the pastor and think that the pastor has a glamorous job. They get the mic, they wield the, wield the power, and, and I would say if that's your construction of the church, I'm sorry that that has been your experience Part of the function of those who possess positions that are generally seen as honorable is to ensure those in less honorable positions, relatively speaking, receive the same care as others are cared for. This is partially why overseers at Center Church don't see who gives how much money. Okay, this is just one example and, and other churches do this differently, and that's fine. This is something we've chosen to do here because we don't want to pastor the person who gives less in a different way than we pastor the person who gives more. This is just something that we've chosen to do. This is why we as overseers would try to regularly see and acknowledge those who aren't in here, who are teaching back there, those who are running AV or tech, giving of themselves in this way. This is why we want to acknowledge at the end of our service when kids are leading the charge in taking chairs down and putting them on the rack. We want to acknowledge them in doing that. We want to give thanks to those performing functions that are oftentimes overlooked. These are all vital roles. The fact that you're sitting here, someone had to come here, And set this up. Give of themselves in this way. There's a lot of dirty work in church contexts. And dirty work oftentimes stinks. And many of us can have a desire to want to avoid that. To hope that someone else will do that. Okay, notice then the connectedness of how a local church is intended to function. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So this is how we are intended to care for one another, to feel about each other. 
There is a connectedness here that runs deep. There's symmetry within a church context. And this only happens if there's nearness. This only happens if there's relationship. Care can only be extended when people know one another and are invested in each other's lives. And so this is why we call ourselves to be invested in deep community here at Center Church, why we want to give of ourselves for each other, pursue one another in ways that are uncomfortable at times. Okay, so we need to see the connectedness with varied roles, kind of this idea of diversity amidst unity, right? We want to be really diverse in many ways, but also this diversity is working in a way that connects us, that unites us as well. We are interdependent as individuals. Okay, so I've talked about functions. I've talked about roles. The, the way that Bible talks about, the, the way the Bible talks about these things is as spiritual gifts, okay? I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about spiritual gifts just because we don't have time for it today, but I just want to acknowledge this and, and comment quickly here what spiritual gifts are. So they are varied forms of God's grace given to followers of Jesus for the building up of his church, okay? And there's a lot of different spiritual gifts. If we're following Jesus, we probably have multiple spiritual gifts, okay? And so they are given to us, these varied forms of grace are given to us so that we might build up Jesus' church. We might care for one another in various ways. So the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, speaks about how God gives gifts of grace to his church. Okay, so it's talking about spiritual gifts in this way. Gifts of grace. Gifts of undeserved favor. So the fact that someone is gifted as a hand or an eye or mouth or whatever points to grace. Points to God's kindness. And this then extends to every role, every function that someone would have within the context of a church. So I, I oftentimes think about the person who's responsible for cleaning toilets. This is maybe more applicable in a traditional church context where they have their own building, right? But it happens here as well. So as it pertains to cleaning toilets, I don't know a lot of people that would want that function. But I do know a lot of people that want clean toilets, right? We we want the bathrooms cleaned. So the person who is willing to joyfully clean the bathrooms, that understands God has gifted them in this way, maybe gifted them with the spiritual gift of helps or of hospitality, and is willing to joyfully serve in this way, is an immense gift to us. This dishonorable role, one that many of us would not choose, is actually a very honorable thing, something that all of us desire, and probably something that many of us would complain about if it wasn't done, right? We want and enjoy clean bathrooms. But every person who is trusting Jesus, who has God's Spirit living in them, has been gifted by God. But why? Why does God do this? 
Ephesians is really helpful in answering why God gives gifts to his church. This is what we read. We are to grow up in every way into him, being Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God gifts us with varied forms of grace so that we might serve one another in love and build each other up so that we might experience Jesus and others might experience Jesus through us. Jesus has specific, tangible ways in which he wants you to be engaged with his church. So what this means then is that the person sitting next to you And the person sitting across the room from you is dependent on you. We are dependent on one another. Their joy, their spiritual maturity, their nearness to Jesus is tied up with you. So it's not just how good of a sermon did the pastor preach. Right? It's not, it's not just how good was the music. We, together, are responsible for the flourishing of one another. So the flourishing of the church is dependent on the church, living in light of the gifts of grace that God has given to us. Okay, so when we look at one another when we're engaged in a, deeply in a local church, as we look at each other, we should see glimpses of Jesus. There's a weightiness to that, right? A good weightiness to that. Jesus intends that we would see him in one another. Okay, now, if you're a regular at Center Church, you might be thinking at this point in the sermon, That sounds like a whole lot of doing for me. Where is the good news in this? Where is the gospel in this? It's a great question. We want to answer this question every single week. Where is the good news in whatever we're preaching? So, if we approach this, this idea of being part of a body and utilizing the gifts that God has given to us, if we approach that in a legalistic manner, meaning if we're solely focused on what we need to do, the joy in all of this will quickly be sucked out of us. And if I'm honest, I think many of us view church and our involvement in this way. Even if you have been at Center Church for a long time, we have this tendency to view church in this way. Maybe it's because of our formation early on, going to a church, that preached a lot of law and said, you need to do, you need to be, and gave us this laundry list of things we need to do to be approved by God. And so what what ends up happening for many of us when we think about serving the church is we think obligation. We think duty. And none of us is drawn to that. That's a burden. That's weighty. That's not good news. And so, 
where is the good news? First of all, these gifts of grace are just that. They are gifts of grace. They are gifts of God's undeserved favor. This is a spiritual gift that God gives to us. And it's a gift that's given to us for our joy and for others' joy. This is why God is giving this to us. So, we didn't do anything to earn this. Okay? So, if this is given to us for the exercise of the joy of others, God's design in this too is as we exercise this, is that we would experience joy in the exercise of it. And the fact that we don't, I think, means we oftentimes have a misunderstanding of this. I have a friend who talks about this in this way. He says we oftentimes think about it as a spiritual paycheck. It's not a spiritual paycheck. God didn't give this to you because you had done enough and impressed him enough, and so he was going to give this to you to put a weight on your shoulders so that then you can uh, try and fulfill the obligation that he's placing on you. That, that's not why God gives you gifts. It's not a spiritual paycheck. He's not paying you back. It's a spiritual gift. He's giving you a kindness. Not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but because he's a gracious God who gives good gifts. I think part of the challenge in this for us, though, is that the exercise of our gifts includes suffering. When we exercise these gifts, there is a cost to us. And this is where we just need to be driven back to the gospel. The greatest gift of grace, our forgiveness of sins, included suffering. But not ours. Not our suffering. Jesus suffered for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins. So as we exercise the gifts that God gives to us, our joy in all of that is going to include suffering at times. Our serving someone else will involve us setting aside our preferences. And we feel cost in that, right? Setting aside our preferences, for sure. Weeping with others is heavy. It's hard. There are times when in the midst of our busy schedules— We've got to set aside the thing we want to do because God is calling us to love and to serve someone near to us in a way that's meaningful to them. And that's costly. There's suffering in that. But we must not let the suffering cause us to not utilize our spiritual gift. Hebrews 12, 2 is really helpful with this. It says, Looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So, so there's this idea of what we are looking at in all of this, right? The reason we can feel begrudging when we're called to exercise our gift is because we're looking at ourselves. It's not because we're looking at the horizon, the ultimate reality of grace, where God is ultimately leading us. And this is the picture we get of Jesus. Jesus, 
who for the joy that was set before him, as he is suffering on the cross, in agony, enduring pain, he's able to look beyond that. And he sees there is joy out there. And this is true for us as well, in the midst of our identifying with sufferers, setting aside our preferences, acting in costly ways. We've got to have a gaze beyond ourselves, something much bigger, the gospel. And that's where our eyes need to be fixed. As it says in Hebrews 12, to looking to Jesus. And this needs to be the orientation of our every day, over and over and over. Okay, so these are gifts of grace, all right? But, but more than this, the usage of our spiritual gifts reminds others of the ultimate spiritual gift. As we are exercising our spiritual gifts, we are embodying something. And we are pointing others to what I was just talking about, the ultimate spiritual gift. So the body was always intended to point to the head. That was always God's intention. So we, as his church, are intended to point to our head, who is Jesus. And so really, spiritual gifts help to remind us of who we are, but more importantly, of who Jesus is. There's this beautiful picture that we can see as we look at the broader story in the Bible. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 here. Okay? And when we look at Adam and Eve, what's going on in the garden as God is creating, these two individuals are kind of pictures of humanity. And, and there's, in many, in many ways, we can look at them and we can identify with them. Much of our story is shaped by what happens with Adam and Eve. And so when we look at what happens with Adam and Eve is Eve was created by putting Adam to sleep. Okay, that's what happens. There's no suitable helper for Adam, right? So God puts him to sleep. And what does he do? He goes to Adam's side, and he pulls out his rib, and he creates Eve from Adam's side. Now, when we read in the New Testament, there's a part where we can find that Jesus is the second Adam. Okay? Jesus is the second Adam. And Jesus created his wife, the church, his bride, by also going to sleep. By going to the ultimate form of sleep. Enduring death. And we get this picture of Jesus on the cross. When they're verifying that Jesus is dead, the soldiers come to him. And what do they do? They pierce his side. They pierce his rib, essentially. And in this, we get this picture, way back in the beginning, we can see what's happening in the New Testament. It's not accidental. It's not plan B. We can see whispers of this reality at the very beginning. In the way God created Adam and Eve, he's going to again, in a greater way, create his church out of the side, out of the rib of Jesus himself. This is how Jesus has formed his church, his body, 
And every time we deny ourselves to serve one another, we are giving a glimpse, a reminder of the greatest gift given by Jesus. Every time we function as a body and utilize our gifts, the gifts of grace given to us to build one another up in Jesus, we are engaging in activities that God has designed for our joy and for the joy of others as well. This is God's design for his body, the church. Now, I mentioned earlier I wasn't going to go into a discourse on spiritual gifts. But if you're a Christian, you have been given gifts. And I want to make one distinction here as we're winding down. And that is a distinction between talents and spiritual gifts. Sometimes these can be confusing for people. So, so maybe you, have, well, you all have talents of some sort. Maybe you have a talent of fishing. Maybe you have a talent of gardening. It could be a lot of different things. And, and so I want to talk just quickly here about how this intersects with spiritual gifts. So maybe you have this gift of gardening. But your spiritual gift is helps or generosity. And so the talent is gardening, but the spiritual gift is helping someone else, being generous sharing this talent with them. And so that's the distinction here between talents and gifts. All, all of us have talents. If you're a Christian, you for sure have spiritual gifts as well. But, but this is how they kind of intersect with one another and how they get fleshed out. But all of us who are followers of Jesus, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is an invitation for you to trust in him, to get pictures of how Jesus' church can work together in healthy ways. But for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, God has given us functions, gifts to be utilized in his local church. Maybe you don't know your gifts. And maybe you think, well, I feel kind of silly because I don't know my gifts. Or I haven't talked to people about this. Don't feel silly. Probably most people here wonder about what their spiritual gifts are. So there's a lot of tools that have been created. You can do assessments and, and so forth, and those are good and fine and well. But, but really, praying for clarity about your spiritual gifts. And one of the best things I think we can do to identify spiritual gifts is to be in community. To ask one another what do you think my spiritual gifts are? What do you see in me? How do you see God working in me? How do you see God working through me? And letting Jesus' church form and affirm these realities because we are his body. Okay. We all have roles to play together as a church for our collective overall health. I want to talk just practically here uh, for a couple of minutes about spiritual gifts. So if you have the gift of generosity, so we talked in our annual meeting this year, a couple of months ago, about how we as a church have felt a bit of a pinch financially, okay? This has continued for the last couple of months uh, as we've begun this fiscal year as well. 
The reality is other people feel the pinch financially because of inflation as well. And so we all feel this in different ways, right? But, but the function of the church needs many generous people to utilize the gifts of grace that God has given to us. And so this is an invitation. This, this is one way that we can exercise our gifts, especially if we've been given the gift of generosity. All of us have a certain variety of the gift of encouragement, and that's going to come out differently in each of us. But I, w- I want to talk just about how we can exercise this gift. So, so there's no secret here at Center Church that we strive for 100% engagement in community groups. Okay? We want everyone to be part of our community groups. We have a couple big asks. Sunday morning, our corporate gathering, and community groups. We value this. We want people to be in each other's lives. So the folks who lead these groups, they clean their houses. Sometimes they make meals. They get ready to facilitate discussion. Some of them plan kids' activities when you're gathered together, and they're doing many other things. And when people show up 50% of the time, that's just naturally discouraging for those who are seeking to lead in this way. But when you function in your gift of encouragement and function as part of this body, you immensely encourage those giving of themselves in that way. I mean, simply showing up is huge in community groups. But we also want to deeply engage in these gatherings as well. So we want to call all of us to be vulnerable, to confess our sin in the midst of these groups, groups, to ask probing questions, to care deeply for one another, to affirm others, including the leaders, and in all of this, to seek each other's joy, and ours as well, as we exercise our gifts. All right, we close our sermons with what we call gospel application. Okay, when we walk out of here, the point is not for you to be thinking about or hearing, here's all the things I need to do. Because that's not a Christian sermon. A Christian sermon has Jesus at the center, and we're reveling in the fact of who he, who he is and what he has done for us. So when we're walking out of here, we want to be thinking about, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done for us. So one point of gospel application for us today is Jesus gave his body so you could be a part of it. Jesus gave his body so you could be a part of it. And he invites you in. So let's rest in this truth. Let's believe this. Let's believe the gospel. Let's treasure this reality. And all of this other stuff of us exercising our spiritual gifts, if we're resting in Jesus, believing in him, all that other stuff will take care of itself. It will. But the call for us is to believe the gospel and to rest in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for forming a body a spiritual body where you take people who are natural enemies, who are very different from one another, 
And you unite us with something much bigger than our